There's all sorts of different beings in caves, not just these. They are related to each other, the Hopkinsville and the Hellier ones, through many generations. Right? So it's sort of like a mind-bending, strange little situation we have here. Trying to contact aliens through ritualistic occult means, which is Aleister Crowley's whole shtick was doing that. So what happened in Hopkinsville specifically in the data was that there was a craft and this craft shot out through a portal. Another officer reported seeing a meteor shower in the area, but no flying saucer. Media quickly spread the strange news of the Hopkinsville goblins or little men. What was described as something like a super soldier came in, took over the scene, asked where the alien was, went and grabbed it, took it in the car and just took off. People would listen to this episode and think we're crazy. And yet these accounts are all there, all in this one area. When you get into underground situations, you're talking about a massing of different types of frequencies based off of mineral composition in the earth. Oh. Goblins, ghouls, and tricksters were supposed to be the things of legend, not creatures physically encountered by multiple unsuspecting people. But when flying saucers, abandoned mines, and pointy-eared beings all start showing up in the small towns of Kentucky, it's a smoking gun that something metaphysical is going on. Were the Hopkinsville goblins that were seen in 1955 part of a pattern of many little men encountered in the area? Tune in to hear John Vivanco's remote viewing data on creatures, my investigative research into the history of these sightings, and so much more. Join John and me, Rob Counts, for a show that's out of this world. Are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere? Go ahead and just leave us a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. And also, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing World, Twitter, and Facebook. John, how you doing? Good. Doing good. Good. Excited for these Hopkinsville thingamajiggers. I've been waiting. They're man, weird. like. They are yeah. weird, man. Like this whole thing is blowing my mind a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Wait till you hear some of the stuff that I found out, because I think your mind might be a little bit more blown after this stuff. <laughs> well, OK, so it kind of there's a lot of stuff that we're going to be going into in this episode, guys. Uh, we're going to be hitting this article from 1955, this story and report of the goblins of Hopkinsville, which is in Western Kentucky. And then there's no way we're going to avoid talking about Hellier, Kentucky, Kentucky, which, you know, there was an entire series that planet weird, the guys at planet weird did about that, which we've reviewed in depth um, and had lots of discussions before the Hopkinsville story where all of this kind of started is really weird because of the the parallels with the the story within Hellier, the docu series that's on YouTube. You guys can watch that for free on on YouTube. For all of you at home that don't know, on the evening of August twenty first, nineteen fifty five, five adults and seven children visited the Hopkinsville, Kentucky police station with a strange story. Among those 12 people were brothers Elmer and John Sutton, as well as O.P. Baker, who are pictured in this photo here. Okay, so the, the group 
reported they had witnessed a flying saucer. Okay, so the flying saucer came first. It landed near the farmhouse where they were staying the night. Little men surrounded the house, peering at the frightened families as they attempted to gain entry. John Sutton and Bill Ray Taylor claimed to have fought off the men, these little green, these little men, whatever, with a shotgun and a pistol for several hours before leaving to notify the police. The little men were described. Uh, they were short, monkey-like, with long arms and webbed hands, with talons, large, bright, offset eyes, and pointed ears. This is really weird. Yeah, I mean, they, it's like they had really big, like if you look at some of the drawing descriptions, I mean, they had really big, big, odd ears. Yeah, strange, strange eyes. This right here that we're what we're looking at was the drawing from the Hopkinsville event that the police <laughs> made, which yeah. looks kind of strangely like a Napoleon Dynamite drawing. Oh man, I know. Same same mind track here. Yeah. It's it's pretty fascinating because these are the things that actually show up uh underground kind of thing. This is like more of the lore of the elves. Right, um, like actual goblins. The the sketch was done by the police and um, who investigated the incident. Now, they found no tracks or marking outside of the home, only evidence of the gunshots that were fired from inside. So they were scared enough to be shooting in a house with families in there. That does kind of that does kind of show you how scared or rocked they must have been in order to open fire in a house with with children and families in there. Right. Yeah. What's the backstop on those shots? I mean, geez. Right. You know? Another officer reported seeing a meteor shower in the area, but no flying saucer. Media quickly spread the strange news of the Hopkinsville goblins or little men. What's really weird. I found this to be almost the almost the weirdest part of this whole thing is that the reporting about this incident helped to popularize the term little green men as right. a generic term used for aliens. Although the color green was not mentioned in the group's original interviews, but that's really weird. The media will just grab something, you know, and then run. It's like flying saucers came out of Kenneth Arnold. It looked like when he, that UFO sighting in the 1940s between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams flying his Cessna between the two and he saw these silver discs that looked like they were skipping on water. Then the media takes it and says, oh, they were like flying saucers. It's like these these things are often coined by the media and then they just stick. The little green men nomicker now, you know? Yeah. Right. True or not, whatever. Okay. So not everyone believed that the attack, the attackers were spacemen. Alternative explanations from the time suggested test flight monkeys used in rocket experiments. That was oh, great. great. <laughs> Crashed in the area and um, in a notable tongue in cheek explanation found in the Senate Republican memo published by Senate GOP policy committee that the visitors were simply Democrats turned green with envy at the popularity oh, of President Dwight D. Eisenhower. It's funny how they just like take these things and just make fun of them. They put the little twist on it, you know? Yeah. You put the little twist on it, it puts it down to the level of not to be believed, and everybody just falls in line with that instead of actually make, you know, questioning things. It's interesting how they do that. It gets even worse. So 
the incident is now commonly explained as either an elaborate hoax or perhaps more charitably that the group shocked by the meteor shower in a state of panic and likely intoxicated confused a pair of aggressive great horned owls, which are common in the area as an extraterrestrial menace. Like you're going to open fire because of some owls in a house with families. Yeah. Oh, like, hey, they were confused. They, yeah, 80 for rounds. Hours, for hours. Hours. At least they were they shooting at them. They were fighting them off for hours. Yeah. Right, right. You know, this kind of reminds me of this one story that came out of New Mexico that J.C. Johnson, you know, J.C. Johnson is. So J.C. Johnson was one of he was a very epic cryptid investigator out of New Mexico. He died recently. Unfortunately, he was such a great investigator. One of the stories that he investigated had to do with happened on a Native American tribal land in the Four Corners area where a ufo was was buzzing this little community out in the desert and and the native the native peoples went out and tried to get rid of it they were firing like an ak-47 at it there were creatures running around the houses one of the creatures a guy grabbed and 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 killed or injured so they had also called the police during this time. So they're fighting them. They're shooting at them. They're attacking the creature. They called the police. The police came in, didn't really know what to do. Moments after the police came in, this big, huge SUV comes in with, you know, one of those hatches on top that opens up and machine gun on top. So this big SUV comes in like that. And what was described as something like a super soldier came in, took over the scene asked where the alien was, went and grabbed it, took it in the car and just took off. So that's a really, really interesting story. And you can actually find this little investigation and interview with the people who are involved uh, on JC Johnson's YouTube channel. It still exists. It's still there. That's one for the, the history books, I think. I love that one because we remote viewed that. We remote, I mean, how can you not? Crazy. Yeah crazy crazy town and so you you through remote viewing you were able to corroborate corroborated it a hundred percent yes a hundred percent but the weirdest stuff stuff happens out there in the four corners area i mean that place is just it's lit up maybe maybe a little visit to that area is necessary <laughs> yeah by yours truly exactly yeah you know, I've heard a lot about the Four Corners. I used to live in the Four Corners area. Um, it was Southern Colorado I was living in. And I would oftentimes go to one of the springs that was down the street, one of the hot springs. One time I'm at the hot springs and this uh, Native American couple approaches me and they're like, hey, we watch your show. Because they were watching Edge of Wonder, right? And I was like, no way. And they were like, yeah. And they were like, we really want to talk to you about some of the strange stuff going on in our lands. And so we sat down for a little while and they were just telling me all of the stuff going on near the four corners on their land, skinwalkers, the whole thing. And I was like, my mind was yeah. getting blown while I was like right. talking to him. And I was like, what is up with this area? You know? Well, you know, I'm surprised like you didn't have a, a run in with the water babies hanging out at the spring. You get into the, the, the water babies are these little tiny, tiny beings that, um, that that will jump and play in the water and they'll also cry to draw you closer to the water it's that you know it's that it's that myth but it's not really a myth because there's so many like physical encounters with these things 
through uh, native stories as well as Westerners as well. Same sort of thing. And then they will at some point try and draw you into the water to drown you. Oh, so this, the, these water baby things are sort of like the sirens, right? Yeah, exactly. So like the sirens of, uh, of the ocean, the pirate times. I, the siren called us in and crashed our ship. <laughs> well, this was a very, very public hot spring. I mean, it's like one of those yeah. places. It's not like one you find on the side of the road where you can just kind of chill out. So I'm sure there was much less activity in such a populated place when you have like 100 people there or right. whatever. But True. Yeah. That's yeah. such an interesting story. I had never heard of that before. Now, this can kind of go either way. After the reports in Hopkinsville, local and national news coverage of these goblins caused a wave of what they're calling copycat sightings in the area. Now, a group of Evansville teenagers reported seeing 10 of the creatures in an athletic field of Lincoln High School. The creatures, they said, lopped off into the darkness after the teens began lobbing rocks at them. Now, you could kind of go either way with this one. The kids hearing of this just make the whole story up because it's crazy and they just want to like, they're having fun, right? They're teenagers, they're in high school. The other part of this, though, is there's there legitimately could be some truth because if in the area there were multiple sightings of these things during a short period of time, maybe they really did see something. Right. Yeah. Flurry of sightings. I mean, kids, kids will be um, exploring things that adults aren't and out at times that adults aren't too. So yeah, it's going to be imagination in a mixed bag of actually seeing things and misrepresenting. Yeah, misrepresenting. I mean, but, you know, there there is a chance that there was there were things that were actually seen, you know, right. I guess soon after Darwin Johnson, someone named Darwin Johnson had previously reported being grabbed and pulled underwater by a lizard man while swimming in the Ohio River near Dogtown on August 14th in an attack that bore a remarkable similarity to a scene from Creature of the Black Lagoon, which was released a year earlier. This is another one of those things. Like, was he imagining things? Was he just freaked out because of Creature of the Black Lagoon? Or was the creature that he described, though, was similar to this creature that they saw down in um, in Hopkinsville? Like, I don't know where to go with that one. That's just... Uh, I, I, I Okay, so... I think there are tons of creatures that live in water that we just don't know about in general. You know, we're, we're looking at underground stuff, caves, whatnot here, which I understand, and we'll get to it later, which I understand, you know, why this happens. But when you get to water, you, you're running into probably something that's similar that's happening, that is happening underground. I mean, look at the old maps, some of the old maps uh, you've got in these old maps from the 15, 16, 1700s. Whether they're fanciful or not, renditions of sea creatures that are very odd in the ocean. Then you get into the water baby lore and you get into things people see in the water. It's like not just ocean. You're talking about rivers, lakes. So I know we've hit on it before, but that's like a huge, huge subject. And I think there's, there's this whole realm of trying to understand what's causing it, where they come from. Yeah, uh, this is an endless show. Like literally, like we could sit down and we could talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week and never exhaust the amazingly weird stuff ever. 
it's just so strange that they're like what you said is 100% true but isn't it strange that even with all of these his like the history of reports of all of these things everyone on planet earth is like oh you're crazy oh that doesn't exist you know the sutton family that brought forth the hopkinsville uh, uh original story that were in the farmhouse uh, the guys from Hellier went to find, I think her name was Mary Luce Sutton or something like that. She was the only survive, I guess the only woman left, uh, from that family. And there were, but there were two uncles that she had, or that would talk to them. Sorry. Let me finish that thought before I move on to another. So she, t- she ended up talking to a couple folks from the Hellier movie, her two uncles who were in the house at the time refused to talk about it. They wouldn't talk about it because of how made fun of they got for bringing it up constantly, but she's trying to keep the story alive. So she ended up like being open to having them come talking to them, trying to figure out what was going on, which was really nice of her, you know, but that's exactly it is it's like, we can't, we're not allowed to talk about these things. We're not allowed to talk about like, as far as we're concerned, Beowulf was a true story from what I've seen. Beowulf could have been true. Like he's the Grendel, this weird troll guy living in a cave. He has to go beat it down, you know? Right. Why not? Especially if the thing's affecting the entire kingdom and this guy is, you know, charged with protecting his kingdom or whatever it is, you know, he's going to go like, this is the, this is like the classic story of a hero going after a demon and just beating him down. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I mean, these stories are littered throughout history and even modern day, but, you know, people are just aren't going to talk about it because they're just going to be made fun of. But so what makes Beowulf become this story, if it's a true thing, that people carry through the ages, whereas we don't do that now so much? It, it, it turns more into sort of like a fable, like a like there's a lesson behind it, right? And I mean, it makes it's sense. It's like Atlantis, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like the story of Atlantis. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a t- to teach you a lesson, right? And so they take these stories and turn them into a lesson. And that's what it's about as opposed to something real that happened. Well, and, and it's not like, it's like, why would a story like Joe Biden going to Hawaii to talk about the Maui fires or whatever it is, that's not going to go on in history. A story right. like Beowulf finding and having to battle a demon and everyone being aware of it in that village or whatever it was and realizing the implications of that story, that story is going to get passed on. Right. You know, is right. it, well, it going to get changed? I mean, it's possible, but why were native Americans able to hold on to a, a same story, pass down lineages over and over again, and it didn't change much. How is that even possible? It was almost like there was a divine presence behind the, the like, the story itself being kept legitimate. I mean, here's the Hopkinsville uh, lesson. Don't get drunk and shoot hundreds of rounds through the walls at owls thinking they're aliens. That's That's what they're trying to tell us. (laughs) Right. That's what they're trying to tell us. Right. Okay. So did we, did you look into the Hopkinsville case or did you want to move on to Hellier before we even talk about it? We can talk about it after Hellier. Yeah. Let's, because they're kind of related because we we're also looking at like what are those three toed footprints that they got right 
So if you guys haven't seen the show, Hellier, definitely highly recommended. These guys did such an amazing job on uh, this docu-series called Yeah, Hellier. it's the Weird Planet uh, YouTube Planet Weird. I like the series. This is how investigations go, right? Because it isn't what you see on reality TV. It's this long, drawn-out process of weird synchronicities that can take you down different paths where you try novel experiences where or novel uh, experiments and you try and 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 get something to come forward and make connections and try and figure things out and it takes time and so i like how they put this together as far as like actually showing how these investigations work i mean you drive for hours get to a place and then come up totally empty-handed right it isn't just this Oh my gosh, everything's coming down all at once reality TV show. So that's what I like about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was the way they put the story together too. And all of the different things that they found were really compelling, even if just you're looking at it as that one step further and a much bigger story that we're all a part of. You know what I mean? There's just especially the first and the second episodes, there's just so much like compelling, really just amazing stuff going on so for those of you that haven't watched i'll just give you a really brief overview someone some anonymous person emails and gives them basically tells them that they're having they're getting kind of uh visited by something in this place called hellier kentucky and they're over a period of time their family feels more and more endangered by these things that are sort of bullying them or or visiting the house the the ch one of the children i think the daughter is actually seeing this stuff in in the yard at one point she looks over at mommy and daddy and says something about the little kids that are playing in the yard that she's seeing the bald kids and they were like well wait what's that right they find out that there's these like little creatures that are that are coming the guy is going outside and he's seeing his his shed doors that are open at night. He doesn't know why he, cl he closes them, locks them. They're open again the next day, this kind of thing kind of going on and on until finally it's like, they're actually around the house. They're peering into the house. He's getting photos, you know, and then they send an email to this group, basically showing the photos and saying what they found. Someone else basically is involved. Some guy that's named Terry wrist, which is a pseudonym, such a cheesy name. Like this is one of those like cheesy occult names, like Terry wrist, like seriously, they kind of go on this whole journey of visiting Hellier to try to figure out what's going on with these goblins. And they have all of these weird, like psychos, there's very like spiritual type of, of encounters i guess you could say not not maybe not spiritual so much but a lot of it was like some of it was psychic some of it was spiritual it was very very interesting i really really liked the the what i call the mechanical channeling that they did where he's basically listening it's using the the um it's called the spirit the spirit, the spirit box where it's like box. static like going through radio stations really fast and the theory is that other beings cross the veil of whatever can use segments of words and sounds to put together for the listener with intention on getting an answer to a question. And so he's listening to that 
he can't hear anybody outside of him, his partners, um, who are asking him questions, right? They're not actually asking him questions. They're asking what, whatever that thing is beyond the veil. And that is trying to communicate to the guy with the headphones on right through the spirit box. And so he's just blurting out what he's hearing while they're asking questions. And some of that stuff lined up really in interesting ways. <clears throat> and I thought that was a very fascinating method to use in this, in this process, because they got some strange stuff. This guy is just saying what he's hearing. That's it. He can't hear them at all. And he, it, it's like a response comes right away after they ask a question. And it's, it's related to what they asked. And then he's saying other things that are related to things that are going on around them even. Right. And, and, it, and then like even some stuff that they, that were, that was said. And then later on in like days later, they realize that there is like certain numbers that were said that line up with even a clip that they took and they were supposed to pay attention to that particular clip. Right. So in a sense, the using the spirit box and listening that way, it actually takes like the human, uh, the human kind of, uh, pursuit that you might have when listening to some of those things out of it entirely, because you can't hear the people that are near you. So you're just telling people what you hear. And so the, it's hard unless he can actually hear them and they scripted that whole thing. It would be very hard to fake that in a way. Right. right. And, and yeah. it also lines up with what, <clears throat> you know, you and I have talked about and what you've told me about how remote viewing even works and, and sort of more of these psychic, um, experiences or information that you can use using hu human extrasensory powers. Yeah, exactly. So remote viewing works by you have a tasker and those would be the people asking him questions. He can't hear them. You have a tasker who writes out what they want the remote viewers to view and they'll associate an eight digit number with it. And they'll just give that eight digit number to the person, to the remote viewer and not the question. So it's a little bit, it's a little similar. It's blind. You're going in blind. Right. Right. And yeah, uh, so I think that might have even been in like episode three or four when they started using that method. And that was really interesting. They were kind of compiling different experiences that they had over a many year period, uh, even bringing in a trip that they took down to North Carolina to the uh, Brown Mountain a little girl stopping and telling them that she saw creatures coming out of that mountain. And so they're putting all of this together. They start looking into cave systems and boom, there you have it. The right. mammoth cave system that goes all the way down Appalachia hits, hits North Carolina shoots up, you know, past Kentucky into West Virginia, up in Ohio goes all the way over into the Northeast. What if, what if there is some traveling going on? Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you get to the cave systems, there's a specific reason why people mine in these things like the because they they initially that that three toed footprint that was sent to them in the photographs was was sent from a person who lived right in an area where there are tons of mines. A lot of them, well, they're pretty much abandoned mines. Okay, yeah, so got everybody at home, the the guy <clears> who <throat> originally emailed them telling them his family was getting sort of, you know, visited by these creatures, sent them evidence of a three-toed footprint with like all of the lines. You can even see the lines from the yeah. foot and everything in this print, which is very hard to, you know, 
to kind of make up and, and the, the pictures were really clear. So that's what John is referring to here. Right. Right. If you want to go into some of the data on this stuff, we can, we can dig into it. It's um, when you get to the Hopkinsville versus what they found, there are these distinct similarities and, and they have to do with, with the shape of the beings. They have to do with, so in the case of Hellier, where the beings were coming from versus Hopkinsville, where the beings were going to. Okay. So when we look at Hopkinsville, people often think that UFOs and whatnot are, are from elsewhere in physical reality. Some of them are, but a huge majority are not. So what happened in Hopkinsville specifically in the data was that there was a craft and this craft shot out through a portal. So this like this, this fiery sort of ring opens up and the craft goes through it. It comes from somewhere else, right? And so as it's going through it, there's, a, there's some type of issue, some type of problem. One of the elements that it uses burns out or some type of element impacted the craft that caused it to basically go into a, a crash landing. And so the data is describing this thing blasting out of this hole. It's all fiery. So people were reporting, it looked like meteors falling, right? Um, it wasn't, it was the craft. It was literally this craft that was breaking apart, moving down. And it was like hitting trees, crashing through trees, crash landed. And the beings that, <clears throat> that came out of this were going back to their home. Okay. They travel dimensions. They go through dimensions. They were going back to their home where they crash landed in this area. They were basically trying to figure out where they were and what happened. Um, that's why they were around the homes of these people. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, knocking on doors going, Hey, what address is this? <laughs> what year is this? Where am I? It's like the Mothman stuff. Um, and, and so these guys, when people started to have sightings of them later on, it's because they were, they kind of like got stuck in the area. Right. But they couldn't get back through that entry exit point that they, because their craft busted up, it's done, it's gone. Um, a lot of what we saw with this stuff is that they went into cave systems, right? They went into cave systems. This was something that was real. It's really easy to figure out if these things are real or not with remote viewing, because it's very, it's the viewers will tell you if, if something truly happened or didn't. So these guys were legit in uh, freaking out. I mean, they were legit in freaking out when they had these beings come to their home because this, this, this happened. So when you get to the, the hellier type beings, we have a similar look to them as these guys, big ears, um, elvish goblin like. Now the ones from Hops Hopkinsville seem to be taller than these other guys, but they're related. It's like they are distant cousins. The, um, it, it, we see this kind of stuff. We see this kind of stuff. There's an interest in these interdimensional type species in other things going on on earth rather than just humans. Like when I had the experience with the firefly aliens, they were trying to connect up with a very distant cousin of theirs, which was a firefly species. These guys, 
seem to have a very distant type of cousin that would be related to these three toed footprint guys that the Hellier people got a hold of. They are in the cave systems. There's some, there's a frequency when you get into the mining and the, and the minerals and materials that can do specific things that can be leading to other lands, to other worlds. And so these little green guys, these little bald headed guys that the Hellier, uh, part of the Hellier episodes, they were smaller statured. They were statured. They were more animalistic like they were. They were like feral. Yeah, they were a little bit more feral, but they had this sort of cousin relationship to these Hopkinsville ones. So, so some of the images really looked like Gollum. Yeah. Minus yeah. the like just with a smaller mouth almost. Right. Um, but yeah, sort of all kind of extraterrestrial or not like well, yeah it's extra see extraterrestrial or extra dimensional uh extraterrestrial right. slash slash extra dimensional um when you get to the ones the 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 goblins uh through the hellier episode those those seem to be more um related to underground living underground in the area um, and spread out through the caves in that whole area versus Hopkinsville, which crash landed and they dispersed into the cave system, right? So in order to hide, in order to get away from, you know, drunk guys shooting at them. So, so you have these guys going underground, but that relationship exists between those little guys, uh, the smaller guys out of Hellier and the Hopkinsville guys as sort of distant relatives in a sense. It's like, sometimes I think that these beings will seed aspects of themselves in other dimensions in order to evolve, to see what happens. And so that's kind of like another interesting thing that shows up with this is sort of like this interdimensional seeding sort of situation where it's like, perhaps there's some kind of evolution that is meant to occur with these uh, hellier goblins that the other guys potentially from the future, another dimension wanted to have happen. Right. And so they seeded them there. Right. And this was like the relationship that we saw as far as like what they were doing here. They were, they were coming through into this area when they blew apart basically. So, yeah, it's like, I think there's a fascinating, um, a fascinating connection between the two that, 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 that often shows up when you get into these similar looking creatures. It's like, different stages of evolution and then looking in on it through dimensional or future methods to see how they're doing in a sense or serve them service them in some way so are these beings different from the ones in caves john there's all sorts of different beings in caves not just these they are related to each other the hopkinsville and the hellier ones but through many generations Right. So it's sort of like a mind bending, strange little situation we have here. Yeah. What I thought was kind of really super bizarre that they didn't actually really get into too much is this rabbit hole that they went down with this guy named Terry Wrist, which had a book where they found an account of him in an interview with the author of this book named Alan H. Greenfield. So Alan H. Greenfield has a book called 
the secret cipher of the UFO knots. And at the very end of the book, as it's described, there is a question and answer or an interview, I guess you could say, between him and Terry Wrist. And the entire story in this book is about Terry Wrist, I guess, being a part of this group of men who were tracking down these creatures. They were a part of, it was sort of like a squad. These guys were trained military from the, like ex-Vietnam veterans, right? They right. Were, they were like the ones that went down into the uh, cave system in Vietnam and and cleared them out. Right. right. And so here they are. They they continue their work after. They're like modern day monster hunters. Terry Rist is right. a part of those guys. And Terry Rist is also the one feeding these guys from Hellier, allegedly. Now, right. what's strange is when you start looking into Alan Greenfield, he puts himself in an image in one of his books where he's on the upper left-hand corner next to a sign that says, do what thou wilt, which is Aleister Crowley's whole thing, right? Aleister Crowley's in the middle there with the violin. You can see him. Of course, this is him photoshopped or whatever you want to call it onto this image. Um, that is supposed to be Alan Greenfield in the upper left-hand corner, right? And what's strange is they were in that, interview they're talking about this this militia group going after these guys but they're also the whole book the ufo the cipher of the ufo knots the secret cipher of the ufo knots is talking about them trying to contact aliens through ritualistic occult means which is alistair crowley's whole shtick was doing that he even claimed to have contacted one of these aliens i can't remember one of these this thing's name lamb it was called lamb right and so Greenfield was an occultist. He's aware of Crowley, probably one of the most possessed guys in history. I mean, look at the eyes on that dude. Like he was letting all of this stuff in. And you've got you've got th this guy contacting the the people from hell. I just find it strange that when you research this stuff, why is it this is so this is a picture of Lamb who Aleister Crowley was reportedly communicating with this entity, right? And this image doesn't look all that different aside from the ears than what was reported in Hopkinsville and mm -hmm. uh, and Hellier. Now, it is possible that the ears they even talk about this were some sort of goggle and and some type of helmet that they were putting on for for technological means that we're unaware of. The ones that were in Hellier were more like grays without the ears, uh, with the pictures that they showed in that, in that series, right? So it was almost like if you took these goggles off, the ears would come off with it, and then it would just be left with whatever your eyes, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like a gray alien. So it's strange that you've got, like there is more here to this story with when you have, a guy named like Alan Greenfield, you know, involved. Now there's a guy named Terry Rist who appears in this book. He's giving them information. They're trying to contact these aliens through occult means. And then you've got the weirdness of them visiting all of these people. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I know what you're saying. But, you know, okay. So what the humans do is that they look at all these connection points and don't understand what the ocean looks like underneath right? They can only see the things sticking up out of the surface and try to make connections between them. 
like like you're going to see this too when we get into these some shows that are upcoming there's a relationship between all these things under the surface there's an evolutionary process this is beyond just peeking at the tips of the iceberg this is the iceberg and so they don't quite understand what they are they look a little similar across the surface but if you go under the surface what you're looking at is an evolutionary process of a specific type of species that's what you're looking at here. You're looking at different renditions of it. Like the ones that David Christie had photos of. It's like the developmentally disabled third cousin inbred of the higher beings that crashed here, right? Your description <laughs> of that was so on point. For everyone at home, David Christie is the original guy that emailed the, the everybody at Hellier. I'm sorry, everybody at Planet Weird in order to kind of go look into this stuff. So he was the original guy that disappeared after these emails were sent, mind you. They couldn't even find record of him in the town of Hellier anymore. So it's really unclear who this guy was, whether he was sharing his real name or not. Right. When we look at these types of things, there's more than just one story, two stories, three stories of these things. There are stories where you have similar looking things to these guys across the whole world. And then... When you look into them, there's a relationship. You begin to see the relationship between all of these things. And it isn't just, you know, most people think in terms of just physical reality. So it's like, well, how does a, how does something travel through a cave across the world? It's not about that. It's not, when you get into underground situations, you're talking about a massing of different types of frequencies based off of mineral composition in the earth. Whoa. Which, which was kind of what you and I were, our minds were a little bit blown about with the Arkansas um, crystal mine, right? It's like well, you've got levitating crystals over there because of the energies that are in there. Never mind if, like, if you're a being that even understands some of that technology and knows how to use it properly, right? I mean, who knows what you could do with it? Exactly, right. And so that's, this is why this is okay. So, People go into, well, it's got to be inner earth. There's like a big sun down there and, and there's beings living down there in society. Yes. And the 3D. Oh, yeah. yeah, it, You do have some of that. But literally more often what we see with this is that because of mineral compositions and frequencies, you have more of a dimensional experience that's occurring and beings that know how to manipulate that zone. OK, so if beings are flying through space and they're seeding other planets why aren't they doing that through dimensions? They are doing that through dimensions. That's why you see a relationship between a lot of these beings across the world, right? So that's what it is under the surface. It's like this genetic uh, relationship of, of, of moving these beings into other dimensions in order to see what they can do and how they survive. Some of them aren't going to, you know, progress that far because they're just too developmentally disabled based on genetics, but some of them will. One of the things that I found really interesting was this guy, Alan Greenfield, he listed in his book, the author of the Mothman prophecies. How did he note it in the book exactly? It was like special acknowledgments or something. What I found so kind of weird about that is that Hellier is not far from the Ohio River. Point Pleasant is right on the Ohio River. 
only two hours north where the Mothman prophecy story took place. Right. And all, all the like bizarre, strange. Okay. Why is all this stuff one thing? The more you look into this, the more you're like, this is all kind of like one big batch of crazy. And it's all almost piggybacking off of one another. It's such a weird mix of things. You've got UFO sightings crossed with a bizarre time traveling cryptid named Mothman. And then you've got goblins. Like people would listen to this episode and think we're crazy. And yet these accounts are all there, all in this one area. I think that a lot of this has to do with specific types of frequencies that are are drawing opening portals and having just a thinner type veil um, that occurs here in that or in that general area. And, and so it's like the odd thing with all the synchronicities that happen in people investigating this is one of those things that you know that you're on the right track. But I mean, this is like, for whatever reason, it gets very thin when people investigate this stuff. And it leads down a path of just following synchronicities to take you to uh, what you want to know. But ultimately, what you want to know is going to be so absolutely confusing that you're never going to figure it out anyway, even though the synchronicities take you there. just they, They just start growing on top of each other. And that's why people get this sort of like place, this sort of trickster aspect on top of it at the same time. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody follow the synchronicity that leads to the very end. I know John Keel took it to a point where he literally followed them and believed that in the end there was a major cataclysm coming because that's what they were, you know, kind of giving to him. And it turned out not to be true. It didn't happen. So that's where the whole trickster idea comes from. People start to think, well, I'm being followed. I'm following the path of some kind of trickster that's trying to lead me astray, ultimately. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting thing to investigate these and follow those synchronicity paths because they can always lead into more and more profoundly strange things. But where they end up is anyone's guess because I've never heard of anybody taking it to the very end if there is well, an and, end. And how could you? Because yeah. I don't think there, I don't think there is an end really. You know, I think that, I think that one of the ends might be actually physical evidence, like proof that these beings exist. Because what I really think the guys from Hellier were doing down there was trying to track this thing enough to get some type of physical evidence, more physical evidence than I think that they got. Not that they did a bad job by any by any means. I don't think it might even it might may even not be possible to find that physical evidence. That the way that they portrayed the investigation is typically the way these things go. More likely than not, you're not going to have an alien or a goblin pop out of a portal in front of you on camera. More likely than not. That's too bad. Yeah, it's it's too bad that that's the case. That, but I know that's what they were looking for. Right? Of course. I mean, yeah. that's what you and I would be looking for. Right. You know, we, we would be looking to see if there was a way to to get a, something a little bit better than a blurry photo of of what these things are. Not that it's possible. You know, when you're you're like running and shooting at the same time, <laughs> you know, how good is that photo really going right. to be? And I mean, you're freaked out while you're doing it, too. Right. right? Like at the same time while there isn't an end and all you really do is have more questions. It's kind of like, why, 
why we have this show, right? It, it's to explore the unexplained and try to and try to answer some questions that are going to give us more questions that we can delve into. Yeah, exactly. But that's like the whole nature of synchronicity too. It brings more questions than answers. Okay. So I was like, I was heading to a mountain just like last week, heading up to a mountain because I wanted to do some filming and specific investigation on UFO stuff. Right. And so I was going up to the mountain before I went, I was, I was thinking about synchronicity a lot and I was thinking, you know, um, of following synchronicity, right? Instead of just doing the path. And so on the way to the mountain, I actually, it was the weirdest thing because this doesn't happen to me because I know it like the back of my hand. I got lost. I got literally lost and I ended up at a cave system. No way. Yeah. I ended up at a cave system. So it was like, it was like allowing myself to follow the synchronicity took me to the cave system instead of going to like go and set up a perch for UFO hunting. Right. And that was my original intention, right. was to go the UFO hunting route. But before I was thinking, should I investigate cave or UFO? And in that process of getting lost, it took me right to the cave system. So following synchronicity can lead to really interesting things of what you maybe should be doing over what you think you should be doing. Well, yeah, and, and in totally in sync with with this series we have here, which is right. all about what what lies underneath. Right. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, well, gosh, and uh, I think we're going to we're going to have to end this episode here. You guys, um, we've gone a little bit over, but I hope you enjoyed this episode in exploring the Hopkinsville case and the case over there in Hellier, which is. It's like you said, like a little bit is peeking out. You're just, we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg here. And at some point, John and I are going to get over there to look into this for ourselves and show you guys what we're finding. And hopefully this adds just a little bit more to the story that the guys at Hellier um, that produced Hellier uh, on Planet Weird, you know, all the good work that they've done. So. Um, John, thanks so much for being here. And for those of you at home, we hope you guys thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. Mm -hmm.